We're going through a series called uh, the guardrails, nine biblical core values. They are the nine core values of, of Orchard Community Church, and uh, they are core values that are biblical core values, not only for a church, but for life as well. And so today we're looking at numbers six and seven, and we'll get to what those are in a second. But as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, the, the way that we see ourselves really matters. The, the way that we view ourselves, and I don't mean physically, I mean just our identity, who are we? And I had the thought, do we still have auctioneers? Are those still a thing? You know, the people that, hey, $1, $1, I got $1, I have $2, and they just, anybody ever been to an auction? I've been to auctions never like that. I mean, that would be way more entertaining than, you know, writing something on a clipboard. That Those aren't as fun. So, so the, anybody ever done that for an auction? Like, been a, what do they call them? Callers or... Auctioneers. Wow, I used the right word. It's, it's a miracle. I just, I had this picture, okay, so this guy, he does this for a living, right? And he calls out these numbers and he talks really, really fast. I just imagine Black Friday is this Friday, in case you don't know, in case it's not on your calendar. I, I just imagine this guy, Black Friday, is in Walmart shopping for a TV, right? And he's, he's standing in front of a TV and it's like $300 and he's not really sure. You know, like a young high school girl who's just working part-time trying to make some money, save up for college. You know, she walks over to, um, sir, you know, we've, we've got another TV on sale for $250. And this guy's eyes light up. $250, I got $250. Do I hear $200? Do I have $200? Do I have another salesman with $200? Anybody over there? And like everybody in the whole store just looks, what is going on? And then something clicks in these people. Maybe that's how you get a good deal. And the whole store just erupts with people. 200, I got 150. Could you imagine? That would be crazy. Now imagine this guy, lazy Saturday morning. He's, he's reading the paper and his wife comes down the stairs. Says, Dear, would, would, I see you have a little bit of toast. Would, would you like some eggs to go with that? And his eyes light up. I got toast. Can I get a side of eggs? Can I get a side of eggs and a little bit of orange juice? And he just goes off. And her eyes just go, uh-uh. And she turns around and goes back to bed. Like, that's not happening. Now, that's silly, right? But, but if he doesn't understand that there's a time and a place to turn off the auctioneering side of himself, it's ridiculous. But what about a businesswoman climbing the corporate ladder? Hugely successful, makes these multi-million dollar deals all day long, oversees a sales team, and she is on the move, on the go, all day long. She doesn't have time for people that get in her way. She, she doesn't have time for employees that aren't doing their jobs. He, she chews them out in front of everybody. She calls them motivational speeches, but she just chews them out. Get out of my way. I don't have time for you. She's got a big deal in the works, and so she's got to work at home on a Saturday. Her little four-year-old daughter comes up to her in her sweet, sweet voice. Mommy, could you read me a story? And in that moment, who she is matters. Does she understand that her identity is not wrapped up in her work? That she needs to be a parent in that moment. She can't say to her child, get out of my way. I don't have time for you. You're not helping me to get this deal done. She needs to stop. Say, sweetie, I'm going to try. We'll, we'll read a book right now. Who we are and how we see ourselves matters. And today we're looking at two biblical core values that that I believe cause us to take a hard, hard look at how we see ourselves. Who are we? Here are the nine core values that we're going through. These are the nine core values of Orchard Community Church. 
passionately God-centered, dependent on God, rooted in the word of God, grace-driven transformation, becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. We've already covered those five in two other sermons. Today we're looking at six and seven. We are committed to one another. What does it mean to be committed to one another and to actively serve? We are committed to actively serving. And then next week we'll finish up with intentional outreach and authentic and passionate worship. So today we're going to look at these two core values and we're going to start with what does it mean to be committed to one another? And I want to look at this in terms of a comparison. What's the difference between being a customer and being someone who is committed? Because again, how we see ourselves matters. We live in a consumer culture. In a consumer culture, we are customers. We go to a store to get something. We hire somebody to do something. We shop for what we want. We get the best price. We try to get the best value. If something's not working for us anymore, we quit using it, we discard it, we throw away, and we get something better. We're on the computer all the time looking for the sales, looking for the deal. We are customers. This shapes our thinking. How do we get the better deal? The nicer product. How do we throw something away? How do we look at something and say, I don't need that anymore. It's not meeting my needs. I'm just going to get rid of it. Now, that's not a huge deal. Please, I'm not up here going, hey man, this Christmas season, you better not buy stuff, okay? I'm not, I'm not that guy. But how do we see ourselves? That, that we can do those things. It's okay to shop for stuff, okay? Within reason, <laughs> But how do we see ourselves? Because what happens when that thinking, I'm a customer, I want a better deal, I want to get the better item, don't want to use the old stuff anymore, get something better. What happens when that flows over into relationships? You see, thinking, worldview, if you want to use that phrase, it has a tendency to seep into all areas of our lives. And if we start seeing our relationships in terms of being a customer, it is hugely damaging to relationships. Take a marriage. Am I being fulfilled in this marriage? Am I getting what I want? Is it serving my needs? Well, maybe I'll shop around a little bit. Maybe I'll try out some other options. Maybe I'll just look around a little bit. Do you see how that same thinking that is so prevalent in one area of our life when it seeps into another is now hugely damaging. How about an even less obvious one? What about a church? Well, do I like the music? Does it make me feel happy? Do I feel supported, encouraged when I show up? Am I getting what I want out of the service? And we sit there as a customer and we take it in, we get what we want, and then we leave. At a store, we are customers. And if we're not getting what we need, we can go somewhere else. We don't have a commitment to that store, but relationships require commitment. There has to be a commitment in order to have a true and meaningful relationship. And as I was thinking about a great example of of a committed relationship, the best possible example I can think of is the example of all of scripture of God's commitment to us, to us. He creates Adam and Eve. 
knowing full well they're going to betray him. He knows before he breathes them into existence, they are going to turn against him. And that will mean he will have to send his only son to die for them on the cross one day. He knows. But he commits to create us anyway. He makes a commitment to Abraham one day. This guy, and he comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Abraham didn't earn this. He didn't do something amazing. He, he didn't check all the right boxes on his application. God just shows up and he says, I'm going to work through you. And in Genesis chapter 15, there is a, a beautiful, albeit brutal, picture of a committed relationship. God comes to Abraham And he says, I'm giving you this land to you and your ancestors. I am promising it to you. And and Abraham says, how can I know? I don't even have a child. I'm already old. My wife's already old. There's no way we're having a kid. There's no way we're getting this land. How can I know? And God says, okay, Abraham, get a bunch of animals, cut them in half. Put half the animal over there and half the animal over there. Create a path through the middle. Now to us, we go, ooh, that's gross. To Abraham, he goes, we're making a contract. This this was a typical thing in their society of how to make a contract. And in that society, the two people, they would make a statement, I'm going to sell you my camel, my house, whatever it is. And, And the other person, I will give you this much money for it. I don't hold up my end of this covenant, this contract, this commitment. If I don't do my part, may what happened to these animals happen to me. So Abraham's going, this is great. We're going to make a contract and God and I are going to be in this contract together. God causes Abraham to fall asleep and Abraham sees a manifestation of the presence of God move through these pieces. And as it moves through the pieces, God makes the promise, the commitment. And Abraham is sitting off to the side. And God binds himself to Abraham saying, Abraham, if I fail to uphold my commitment, may what happened to these animals happen to me. That's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of commitment that he gives to us. Later on, God instructs the Israelites to make this thing called the tabernacle. It's an elaborate tent. It is clearly designed to be the the visible presence of God on earth. And he says, I will dwell with you. You will be a special people because I will live among you. Unlike anybody else in the whole world. And yet later, in 2 Kings chapter 23, there's an account of a young king. My family and I were reading this in devotions the other day. And it just just was gut-wrenching. It's the account of Josiah. And and things have gotten in Israel, right? They have these promises. They have God's presence among them. They lost the only copy of the word of God. They lost it. Disappeared for ages. Josiah happens to be having somebody clean out the temple. And they find a copy of the law. And they read it and they go, we are in big trouble. Something needs to be done. And so Josiah starts on this, this crusade, if you will, to clean up Israel. And it lists, and, and it's, it's a powerful passage because it's awesome to see what Josiah does, but it's horrendous to see what Josiah had to do. The temple, this dwelling place of God, had been filled with all of these items to worship other gods and goddesses. 
you imagine that? Hey, this is to worship so-and-so's God. Okay, great, just put it over there. And it just fills up, just cluttered with other things to worship. There were prostitutes, men and women, living in the temple and around the temple so that people could come and worship. This is the house of God that was supposed to be holy. Josiah goes out and he destroys a place in the land that had been set up. Get this. This is in Israel. God's holy people. They had set up a place to bring their sons and daughters to sacrifice them in a fire. The same God that made that commitment to Abraham knew that all of this was going to go on. But he said, you're my people. Now that same commitment would lead him to discipline his people. They end up having to leave the land forcefully, but God brings them back. And he tells them all along, be with you. Matthew 1, chapter 23, we have the declaration of the coming birth of Jesus Christ. And Matthew says, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. You talk about a commitment-keeping God. There it is. With a path that led through horrible sin and betrayal and God's people turning completely away from him. And yet God said, I've made a commitment. Just as a side note, man, if you're here today and you're going, well, God could never love me if you only knew what I've done. I hope you hear the hope in that story of who God is and how he loves people. Because there is nothing those Israelites did that changed God's commitment to them. So what about us? When we see ourselves alone, making our own way, we have to use other people to get what we want. We have to use the stuff of this world to take another step up and get a little bit further. We are customers, if that's the way we see ourselves. And all the world is our store. What can I get? What's the better bargain? How do I get a little bit more? But I believe... When we truly understand God's commitment to us through Jesus Christ, through the salvation that is offered to us, when we realize how secure we are by God's committed love to us, we are then freed to make commitments to other people. Because our identity is not based on what more we can get. It's already based on God's got me. He's holding me firm. We state this in our core values this way. We are committed to the local church because it is the principal place where God is working out his purpose in the world and in people's lives. We believe that active participation in the church advances God's purpose and is essential for the spiritual growth of individual followers of Christ. We are committed to demonstrating Christ's love and grace to the world by the way we treat each other. We will encourage, love, build up, disciple, forgive, and admonish one another. We will pray for and with one another, honor each other, be patient with one another, and rejoice together. What you're hearing there is what we see in Scripture as God's commitment to us and our commitment to others needs to be seen in this church and every church. The church is to be a living breathing example 
of what that kind of commitment looks like. Now, do we do that perfectly? Absolutely not. And we never will. We need to have grace toward one another when we struggle and fail. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's writing to this church. And and he's talking about the church growing to maturity and the leaders helping each other. And he says the whole point of all of it, all of this growth and this maturing and this leadership is this. From him, Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What a beautiful picture, a body knit together. Every little sinew, every muscle, everything has its place and its purpose. And it all works together. Now, I know we talk often as Christians about that sort of a picture. And I know we appreciate the value of that. But I wonder if we go far enough in applying it to our own lives. I have a role in the body of Christ. I need to be committed to the person next to me, to the person on the other side of the sanctuary, to the Christian down the street at a different church. We need to be committed to one another because this world needs to see something working that way because we're sure not getting it in our culture. Jesus prays this in John chapter 17. Verses 20 to 21, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Understand the importance of this passage. Jesus is saying in this prayer, Our commitment to each other as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ is a display to the world and a proof to the world of the unity between Jesus, God the Son, and God the Father. So if we can't get our act together, what picture are we giving to this watching world of who God is? And do you know the number one reason most people would give for not accepting Christ as their Savior? So many people say, Because they look at Christians and say, I don't want it. Now, again, I would hope people would show a little bit more grace that we're not perfect, okay? I I would hope that. I would never assume it, but I would hope that. We're all imperfect. But I would also hope that the church would step up and say, we really need to work on our commitment to each other. Let me back out of the sermon, though, for a second and just say, I'm kind of, I really feel like I'm preaching to the choir a little bit here. This church is awesome. You guys are amazing. To see the number of people showing up at the work nights, to see the people bringing in food, to see the people running other ministries, to see the seniors show up for, for a time that they're spending together, and we've got to move some chairs in the back of the gym so they can have fellowship. And I feel awful that that's where they have to have their ministry right now instead of a nice new uh, area, but they do it with a smile. And, and, and as I'm trying to get chairs out, you don't have to do this. We'll, we'll take care of it. That's the commitment I see in this church. So I just want to applaud you and say thank you for that. But let's also never take it for granted. Because the moment we start taking it for granted is the moment that consumer mentality will seep in and overflow in our thinking and in our actions before we even realize it. Our unity 
is a demonstration of this world. People will see customers everywhere. They'll get treated by a boss that sees them as a product at work. They'll be treated poorly sometimes at home as a parent or, or a spouse that sees them as a, 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 just a commodity there. People will see customers and be treated as customers and act like customers everywhere. I pray that in the church, they will see the gospel of Jesus Christ in committed, loving relationships with each other. It's one of the reasons here in this church we emphasize membership. And and it's been a long time since we've had a membership class, and I, I really hope we'll have one soon. That's my fault, not somebody else's. But the reason we emphasize membership is that it puts a a, a priority and a focus on that kind of commitment that we're talking about. To say, we will be different. That's why we're doing this. We're not just going to slide by with a consumer-customer mentality. We want to be different. And I pray in your personal lives that you think, am I a customer or am I committed Am I committed to my spouse, to my family? Am I committed to my church? Am I truly committed or am I just in this to get out of it what I can get out of it? But what does commitment look like? Where does the rubber meet the road, as it will? And that's where we come to the next one. Biblical core value number seven, actively serving. And here it's helpful to think in terms of a spectator or a servant. A spectator is easy, right? Some of you will go home this afternoon. I assume the Bills are playing somewhere. So they're not going to lose today. Okay. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Go Bills. I just think some of you have a lot more faith than I do. That's, I don't know what else to say. But, you know, you you watch the Bills game or pick whatever, your favorite team. Man, people get so invested in the game, right? I I won't ask, please don't raise your hands, but you all know somebody that when their team is playing, you don't talk to them. And if they lose, you really don't talk to them for a while. They'll sit there and just yell at the TV, right? They'll yell at the quarterback. They'll yell at the, they'll really yell at the refs. I mean, they'll just go off. But think about it. Do any of the spectators' actions have any influence on what goes on on that field? No. Especially if you're at home. Now, maybe if you're in the stands, maybe cheering, maybe, maybe. In the whole 12th man principle, right? Maybe. Whatever. But I guarantee if you're at home, all of your words of wisdom are not being heard. Just so you know, they're not. And, and they're not, I don't care which direction you wear the baseball cap or the favorite sweatshirt, not impacting the game whatsoever. You're a spectator. And the truth is, you have nothing to lose. Oh, you might get really upset, but you didn't, I suppose unless you got money on the game, which, shame on you. But you really, you might think you're all invested and it's your team, and you might get up the next day sobbing and just be a grump at work. But come on, grow up. You really didn't lose anything, okay? You're just a spectator. Your contract's not on the line. Your paycheck is not on the line. You're just watching the game. And the truth is, 
You're not going to get up the next day and go, man, I really blew that game. They lost because of me. I mean, unless you're one of those weird people, like I wasn't wearing my favorite, you know, fuzzy jammies or whatever. I don't know. But, but most people aren't going to wake up the next day and go, man, it was all my fault. You're going to go to the water cooler at work and go, man, did you see that coach? Did you see those refs? You're going to blame, 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 blame. That's what spectators do. Servants are different. You see, a servant sees a need, steps out of their comfort zone and says, I'm going to do what I can to meet that need. I'm not going to scream and yell from the sideline. I'm not going to point fingers at whose fault the need is. I'm going to get involved and see what I can do. A servant gets personally invested and involved in the situation. A servant uses their gifts, their abilities to do whatever they can to accomplish something, to make a difference. How we see ourselves matters. If we see ourselves in all areas of our lives as spectators, then we are free to complain and blame about everything. Culture's not our problem. We can turn on the TV and yell and scream and complain about how things are going and just talk about whose fault it is and it's this side's fault and this side's fault and it doesn't really matter because it's just not my fault. I'm just a spectator. People hurting is not our problem. Somebody else is to blame. Somebody else should fix it. Well, I know my neighbor's really suffering, but it's not really my fault. I'm just a spectator. People we have hurt, even, it's not really our fault. Not my problem, they're so offended. It's not my problem, I hurt them. It's not my problem, just a spectator. But if we see ourselves as servants, we need to get involved. We need to see the issue and run toward it. Invest ourselves in it. Serve. What does the Bible say? Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. This is a beautiful passage. It's toward the end of Joshua's life. He's led the Israelites into the promised land. God has been faithful and fulfilled that promise. And there they are. And Joshua's warning them to be careful. He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He says, look, here's your menu. God just conquered these people. Their gods didn't help them. Well, you could serve those gods if you want. Before God called our forefather Abraham and and he was struggling, he wasn't really in anybody, and then God came along and made this huge, massive promise to him and he's been faithful to it every step of the way. Well, you could serve those other gods too, but look where that led. Or, you can serve the one true God that has proven faithful over and over and over again. Notice the choice of whom to serve. It's not a choice of if to serve. Well, choose if you want to serve. See, this is one of the great lies of our culture today, of of just sin pervasive in our world, is that it, it gives you this other option that seems like an option to just be a spectator. Well, just sit back and just fold your arms, wag your finger, blame somebody else. And it seems like a real choice, but really the person you're serving then is just yourself. How you feel. 
Bob Dylan had that right. You got to serve somebody. You may not be making a choice to serve someone, but you are serving someone. Let's make sure it's the right someone. God had proven himself faithful to the Israelites. And Joshua says, look, consciously, on purpose, make a decision today to serve the Lord. Today our choices might be different. Maybe the other options look a little different. It's not some other god or goddess in a temple and a choice of whether or not to serve them in in certain ways. But our choices today are maybe a worldview without God. When you've got this, you're on your own. Nobody's there to help you out. You take care of yourself. You get what you want to make yourself feel the way you want, to get the success you want. You're on your own. It's all about you. This worldview without God promises peace. But I think it's given us more wars that are more devastating than anything that came before. Promises happiness, and yet our world is filled with anxiety and depression. And it constantly, we turn on the news, and we see somebody acting out in a violent way at the end of their life, wanting to take down as many people as possible. It doesn't work. And so the words of Joshua and the way he phrased it are so helpful. Look, you can have that. Look at the way it's working in this world or the way it's not working or choose the Lord. Choose to serve God the Father who sent his son to die in your place. We need to make a choice. God became a servant for us. See, one of the beautiful things about God is that he never asks you to do something that he is unwilling to do himself. God says we need to serve each other and we need to serve him. And how does he do that? Well, he sent his son. He served us in that way. He went to the cross. He served us in that way. He bore our sin. He served us in that way so that then he can offer salvation and serve us in that way. And he says, here it is. I've done it for you. I've served you in this way. Here's the gift. We state it this way as a church. We want to be a church that actively serves. We are committed to discover and put to use our unique God-given gifts and abilities. With kind and humble hearts, we will serve the Lord and one another with God's grace and the strength he alone provides. We will encourage one another to serve enthusiastically and be hospitable. And I mentioned Ephesians 4 earlier, and I want to look at this. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service. The modern translation which you should find in no Bible ever, but I think it's in our own heads. The modern translation of this is he gave us pastors, prophets, evangelists, leaders in the church to do the work of the ministry. This is wonderful. We'll hire them and they'll do all the work. We can be customers. It's not what it says. And again, if I could step out of the sermon for a second, I've never felt that way in this church. And I praise God for that. But we need to be careful that it doesn't seep in so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith 
and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I would hope that there are a whole bunch of people here that say, I want to grow as a Christian. I want to be mature. I want to go further in my relationship with God. And yes, good leadership, good preaching, good teaching is is absolutely a part of that. But this passage is also saying actively serving is a huge part of that as well. At some point, if you don't reach out and serve other people, your relationship and your growth in your Christian walk with Jesus Christ will become stunted. And you will fail to keep on growing. And we turn into spectators instead of servants. So I ask you, do you want to be a spectator or a servant? Which is going to show the gospel, demonstrate the gospel in this church and in your lives? In our personal lives, we've got to be careful we don't become spectators in raising our kids. It's not my problem. School's School messed them up. Society messed them up. Not really my fault. We can't become spectators when we see people in the world hurting. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody else is hurt and the entire world is all on you to fix. That's another problem altogether. We've got to let God be God. But he has put us in positions, in situations where we can help those. We can help in some way. Are we helping? We can't fix everything, but are we getting involved where we can And we certainly can't be spectators when it comes to seeing people who need to hear the gospel and know Jesus as their Savior. We can't sit back and say, well, the pastor will do it. So-and-so is a lot more godly than me. Hopefully they'll talk to him about Jesus. We need to say, I need to serve this person by saying, hey, can I tell you about Jesus Christ? I'll tell you in the church, this changes our mindset of why we come to church. Could you imagine if every single person in this church came on a Sunday morning, midweek, whatever it is, special services, always showing up with the mindset, I'm a servant, I am here to serve, I am not a spectator here to watch. What would change? If every time you showed up you thought, I'm here because there might be somebody hurting and I might hear about it in a conversation and be able to help them. Whether it's pray with them, encourage them, maybe even meet the need. What if every week you showed up thinking, God, I want to be ready to reach out to somebody. Invite them out for dinner. Invite them over to my family. Meet them for coffee this week. I am here to serve. See, so often we take this idea of being servants and serving, and we limit it to, I'm going to sign up for the nursery, or I'm going to, which for some people is like the worst thing in the world. I... I don't want to do that. Um, you know, or serving as teaching a Sunday school class, which for other people, that's like, no, I can't do that. Uh, but serving is so much bigger than that. It's as easy as seeing a need, seeing how God has equipped you to help meet that need, and stepping out and seeing what God does. Now, church programs, for sure, are one way to get involved. It's a way to try out some things. You'll never know if you're gifted to teach unless, guess what? You try to teach. And we're not going to put you up here on a Sunday morning as a first step. I mean, that would be silly. We could get you in a small group, maybe co-leading with somebody or a one-off sort of thing. We will help you to develop and find your spiritual gifts. 
But find ways to reach out and serve, whether it's in a program at the church or just independently as you show up in the church, or maybe it's not even in these walls at all. You're serving the gospel of Jesus Christ in your day-to-day life. We are on a journey in this life. But it is a huge mistake today to think that we are traveling alone. Paul Simon wrote the song, I'm a rock, I'm an island. It's this whole song about it. He doesn't need anything. Did you know that that whole song, is anybody familiar with that song? It's all tongue in cheek. He didn't mean any of it. He wrote it actually to prove the point that he does need everybody. We are on a journey in life, but we are not islands. We are not rocks. We do not travel alone. We need each other. God is with us. He has made a commitment to us. He is actively fulfilling, carrying out that commitment, even today, in whatever situation is going on in your life. He's there. He's involved. He never fails. He sent his son to die for us so that we could be with him forever. That promise will never fail. But he's also called us to travel this road together. And that's where things get messy. We're messy people. We're sinful, messed up people. But as we walk in this journey together of following Christ, the way we show grace and love to one another the way we actively serve one another and and be committed to one another becomes a beautiful, imperfect, but beautiful demonstration of who God is to a watching world. Being a customer, being a spectator have something in common. They both offer that short-term happiness. There's a thrill to watching your team win. There's a thrill to even watching the game and being upset and judging it when they lose. There's, there's some little part of you that takes a bit of glory out of that. There's a thrill in finding a good deed or a good deal. There's a, a thrill in finding that great sale, that, that product that nobody else has found. There's that thrill. But they are both short-lived. And they have no lasting power at all. Being committed to God and to others and actively serving God and others, I'll be very honest with you, it's hard. It's hard. It isn't a quick pick-me-up. But there is a lasting joy there of knowing that you are involved in something way beyond the end of a game or the end of a sale or just that momentary fleeting pleasure. There is a deeper joy to be found there. And it doesn't depend on changing situations in this life. So what about you today? We use the term guardrails because as you're driving, when you start getting out of line, off track, you start bumping up against these guardrails. They're there to warn you and kind of say, hey, you need to go back a little bit. Are you bumping up these guard- against these guardrails in your life? Are you being a spectator or a servant? A consumer or a customer? Or are you being committed to others in relationship? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would take seriously how we see ourselves. 
Father, we are just inundated with a, a worldview that says everything's about us, our own happiness, our own desires. Get what we want, when we want it, how we want it. And yet we have seen that worldview more and more leading to so much misery. And you show for us a commitment that goes beyond momentary pleasures. A commitment that goes through through people you knew would betray you, and yet you committed yourself to them anyway. A commitment that goes to people today that, that feel like you can't love them. And yet your word shows the exact opposite. You love them. You've committed yourself to them. You offer of salvation through Jesus Christ who has served them. And then God, for those who have received Christ as their Savior, we can't go on as if nothing has changed. We are not just customers. We are not just spectators. May we be committed to one another through the power of the gospel. And may we actively serve both in this church and in our lives for your glory. And to show others who so desperately need it a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.